And when we finally could start camping next to water, I pretty much danced in the forest naked because I was so excited that I did not have to boil snow to make water for myself again. And I was just like, Dickens, this is the life. Like, we're hanging out on this meandering river. And uh, it was, yeah, it was perfect. I'm Emily Ford, and this is the Out and Back Podcast. Welcome back to the Out and Back Podcast presented by Gaia GPS. As always, I'm Shanti, and this is episode 33. Glad to have you joining us. So I'm sure most of you who've listened to this show know about the Triple Crown, the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide Trail. But have you ever heard about the Ice Age Trail? Well, if you haven't, it's a 1,200-mile trail that runs entirely through the beautiful state of Wisconsin. Now, despite the name Ice Age Trail, and I know this might be shocking because it's Wisconsin, but most people who hike the Ice Age Trail do it in summer. Like I said, shocking, right? In fact, only one other person has done a thru-hike of the Ice Age Trail in winter before. But then, along came a woman named Emily Ford, a resident of Minnesota who had a block of time off in January of 2021 and decided, why not? So in January, she set off on an attempted winter solo thru-hike of the Ice Age Trail. Well, kind of solo, because she actually took a borrowed sled dog along with her. And then, in March of 2021, Emily Ford, along with the dog Diggins, became the second person ever and the first woman ever to successfully hike 1,200 miles across Wisconsin in sub-zero temperatures and knee-deep snow. Now, I'm sure your thoughts are how, and probably more specifically, why. And of course, we're going to get into all of that with her today. But first, before we get started, do yourself a favor. Swing over to GaiaGPS.com podcast and get yourself a premium membership at 20% off. Gaia GPS is the gold standard of offline backcountry navigation tools. With worldwide coverage, hundreds of maps, and the ability to download for offline use, Gaia GPS provides everything you need to help you find your way in the wilderness. Again, swing over to www.gaiagps.com podcast and get yourself that discount. And now, let's get started with Emily Ford. I kind of... I think I wanted my life to be like this, but you know, like when you're dreaming about like what you want your life to be, you don't exactly know how to orchestrate it yourself, I guess. Like there was no um, instruments for the symphony I wanted to create, right? <laughs> like and, and we would need to use some like, you know, tin cans and some garbage bins for any symphony I really wanted to make my life into. And, um, but now it's pretty awesome. And so my life off the trail is very work centric. Um, and I work, pretty much as much as I can um, from sunrise to sunset. You know that old saying, find a job that you love and you won't ever have to work a day in your life. Emily lives that mantra. She works as a gardener at the historical Glen Sheen Mansion in Duluth, Minnesota. The ground she manicures laps up against the edge of Lake Superior's beautiful shoreline. I call it a tourist trap because it's a tourism place. Um, but it's an extremely highly visited house museum. I take care of all their gardens. Then I get to work for some lovely private homes after that and spend the rest of our night um, with Flo. And now I'm just learning, still learning, because I've loved to work since I started working when I was like 14, like with a taxed job, you know. So when I started dating Flo, we decided that I wouldn't work on the weekends. Our first year of dating, I worked on the weekends also. And Flo was like, we need to not have you work. 
So we reserve the weekends for us. So that looks more like hanging out at home. We, we usually try to find a spot to either hammock in and like take a nap in like some trees or a beach uh, in the summertime. Summer doesn't last very long in Duluth or, you know, in northern Minnesota. So we make the most of it as we can. Or we go hiking or we do nothing. Sometimes we just stay at home and eat a bunch of chips on the couch and watch Netflix like all day long. We just find a bad show, make sure it's like it just fits all the criteria for bad TV. And then we just consume the whole thing in one weekend together. And it's fantastic. (laughs) So that's what my life looks like now. And I really enjoy it. As fun and relaxing as those weekends sound, you can sort of tell in Emily's way of describing her time off that she has to really work at not working. This love of work also explains Emily's love of backpacking and all the effort it takes to make a successful trip. I love working. I've always, and it, I've always loved working. Um, it's the way, it's the way I de-stress, I think. Um, it's the way I feel accomplished. It gives me purpose. Um, and a lot of my trail life, and the reason why I love backpacking also is that it's so simple to find your purpose on the trail, right? Your purpose is just to stay alive, <laughs> you know, and just to walk forward, um, find somewhere to sleep. And, and in the real world, you know, it's just like, man, huh. All right. Well, I'm a gardener and my purpose is to kind of like beautify this world and like let people know about like how to incorporate nature into their lives and their yards and, and take care of stuff like that. In more ways than one, gardening offers a parallel to backpacking. <laughs> There's a picture of me. I started gardening when I was very, very, very small. Maybe I was about two feet tall when I started. And my mom would bring me up to the garden. I I think the root of it is I like being dirty. Because here's the other reason why I like backpacking. Who cares how bad you smell? Like, honestly, brush your teeth? Maybe. In negative 20 degree weather? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I brushed my teeth on my trip for like, like the first week. I was like, oh, gotta brush my teeth. The second week, I was like, huh. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Um, and so I, I just always loved being this dirty kid. Like, I would, my mom would make me take off my clothes out, and we lived in the suburbs, right? And she would make me take off my clothes outside of the house, in the front of the house, in front of all the rest of the neighbors to see before I'd come in the house. You know, like she's like, dirty farm kid, we live in the cities, you know? And so as I just grew up, um, I just continued to play in the dirt and garden. Emily grew up in two very different worlds. I had this really cool mixed life. My parents got divorced when I was five and we lived in the cities. And so my grandparents really swooped in and helped my mom take care of myself and my sister. But I really clung to my grandparents and they had this really cool farm in Northern Minnesota in a very small town called Jacobson, extremely small town, like so small. They got rid of their post office. That's how small it is. And uh, so out there, my grandparents planted hybrid poplar trees for paper pulp. Other than that, they were pretty much retired. So they kind of just bummed around on their farm doing that. And when I was really young, all my cousins, everybody would come up and we would go snowmobiling and we'd go four-wheeling and we'd go fishing and we'd go hunting. So like that was more of the family that I grew up in. So we were outside, but they were more um, motorsport oriented than anything, not so much the silent sports. Um, and then I would come back to the cities and live my life as a suburb of a you know, of Minneapolis kid, you know, skateboarding, playing basketball all day long, 
hanging out at the park, playing soccer, like just playing sports. I was more of an athlete when I was back in the cities. Um, so it's kind of this duplicitous life. Emily went to Gustavus Adolphus College, a private school in southern Minnesota. Always an athlete, Emily competed in track and field, but she ditched it when she found her true game. So I threw shot, hammer, and disc when I was in college. But I went to a D3 school, and I had this revelation of, I ain't going nowhere with this. Nobody's going to pay me money to throw these around. I'm not going to be an Olympian. I wasn't that dedicated to the sport. And somebody had asked me if I wanted to join rugby. And um, I had no idea what that was. And it was awesome. Actually, scratch that. My sister, when, when she was moving me into my dorm, she saw a poster on the wall in the dorm. And she's like, look, they let girls play football here. And she thought it was American football. And I was like, huh, I don't know what rugby means, but okay. And then someone found me. And they're like, oh, you should play rugby. And I was like, I saw a poster. I don't know what that means. I do see that you get to tackle people, though. Um, and I fell in love with rugby. And I played rugby full for both seasons, for both fall and spring, for all of my years. As a geology major, Emily went on a couple overnight field trips to look at rock formations. And that's when she caught the camping bug. I loved it. It was it wasn't very comfortable because we were using the, the school stuff. Um, but for some reason, I just really liked it, you know, and I've always, I've always just liked being outside. I, my grandpa made snowshoes when he was younger and he let me use them one day out at the farm. And I remember hiking through, they had, I mean, they had hundreds of acres and my grandpa planted for each of the generation of grandkids. So we each got our own plantation of different pine trees. And so like I was walking through some of the pine trees of the eldest grandchild and the snow was like two feet deep. And I remember just like falling back, just to like look at, up at the trees, you know, and just like seeing them sway in the wind. And like, it just felt so right that I was like laying in the snow, you know? And so this kid, you know, who's in college, who's never really gone camping before. I'm like, this feels a lot like that feeling when I was in the woods. When I moved to Duluth, I'm in like the hiking capital of Minnesota right now. Like, you know, we got to try this. Seems that everyone has a story about their first time backpacking. And Emily sounds really familiar. So I saved up some money, bought a Deuter backpack, which is still extremely comfortable, and hiked for three days. My pack on that trip, oh my God, it had to have been like 60 pounds. It was so heavy for a three-day trip. And um, it was miserable. I was hot. There was a bunch of mosquitoes. But I loved it. I did pack things. Oh, man. I packed things in glass jars because I thought that was efficient for some reason. And I brought utensils like I brought like a cutlery set pretty much. And instead of, um, you know, like one pot, like I have the soloist now by uh, was it like MSR or something like that. And like it's a very small, like four cup pot. I brought like a family size setup. I think my mom got it for me for Christmas, but it had like the big pot, the medium pot, the small pot, then individual bowls for everybody. It was just bad. I, but, it, but here's the thing, because it doesn't matter what I brought because I didn't have the money to do anything else. I didn't have like the cool things that I like use now. And so when people are like, I don't know, I can't get outside. I'm like, it doesn't matter. All like the gearheads and like the techie kids, like whatever. Like if you just want to try getting out and camping, like here's my story about how dumb I was when I first started backpacking. <laughs> After honing her skills over a few longer trips in northern Minnesota, Emily got this idea to take on a through hike in January, February, and March when her gardening job shut down for the winter. It's like the shortest story ever because 
I was just looking for like, I was just looking for a thousand miles to do. So with my job, I get laid off for three months, which is the most beautiful thing. If I could give any, if I could grant anybody a wish they didn't know that they wanted, it's three months away from their job, no matter how much you love it. Because I am a workaholic, but it's nice to have that break. When a friend suggested the Ice Age Trail, a 1,200-mile circuitous route across Wisconsin, Emily thought, sure, why not? I was hanging out with a friend of mine named Shauna, and uh, I was like, dude, do you know any trails that are like a thousand miles long that I could do close to home? And she's like, yeah, the, the Glacier Trail in Wisconsin. I was like, cool, sounds great. Turns out it was the Ice Age Trail. Um, but it's pretty much at that moment I was like, I guess what we're doing this next winter. <laughs> like that was it. That was the end of that's the end of that story. Wait a minute. Most people with three months off in the dead of winter would look for a warmer trail to hike. I mean, there's the Florida Trail or maybe the Arizona Trail or places around Death Valley. But for Emily, the Ice Age Trail was right there near her home. And she didn't even consider that it couldn't be done in winter months. I it's so funny because I just it didn't even strike to me that it was going to be cold. It didn't like, I didn't, I was just going to do it. It, it. I didn't care that it was going to be cold. I didn't care it was going to be long. I didn't care how much snow was going to snow. I was just excited to do it. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think that the winter was uncanny. I, I did. I just, <laughs> I, I wish I had a better answer for you. Like I've, I have slept miserably in the cold before, you know, I brought, I was dumb once and I brought a 30 degree bag on a winter camping trip a positive 30 degree bag. It was cold. And again, I loved it anyway. And, and you know, there should have been some red flags, right? Because only one dude did it before me, Mike Summers. And it kind of should have been like a red flag to be like, are you sure you want to do this? I didn't care. I was like, in my mind, it was more like, this dude did it. So he already broke the ice. So I guess I can probably do it too. And, and like, and it, it wasn't making sense to me that people weren't taking me seriously either. Because like, I tried to I was like, man, we could totally raise money. And like, I was trying to reach out to like influencers to be like, I would love to donate to like your cause and all this stuff. And nobody got back to me because they're like, it didn't, it didn't make, I guess it didn't, (laughs) I didn't realize it was a silly idea and people didn't believe me. But this hike was real. And Emily would become the first woman and the second person ever to complete the Ice Age Trail in winter. Not to mention as a black queer woman, Emily has inspired others to pursue the outdoors. She didn't exactly set out to have that kind of impact. It just sort of happened. I don't know. I I started the Instagram. I started my Instagram account because it's a really good way to keep photos. It's a really nice platform for that. But I didn't think that anybody was really going to follow it. Like I knew like my family was going to follow it. But I didn't realize the impact that um, this would make on people who have these similar dreams, like to do something ridiculous and crazy. And it didn't really strike me until like I opened up my Instagram because I kept my phone on airplane mode the whole week, right, to save my battery. I opened up my Instagram one day. There's like 12, 1,200 people following. And I was like, who? Like, where did this thousand people come from? Who is following this silly account? Like, and then it just kept growing, you know, and all these different things. And, and I'm just like, okay, this is a real, this is a real thing. Like, people, uh, why are you all following? It was like I just kept saying that in my mind. I'm like, okay. We're doing this. This is not just for me anymore. This is for all of us. This is for, for people who feel like they don't fit in. This is for people like I'm like I said, like like I was a weird kid growing up. And like fitting in was not my forte. And I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be the outcast. I grew up pretty much being the only black person in a lot of situations. Um, I know what it feels like to not quite understand yourself and like 
why you feel the way you feel. Like I was closeted. I was, I didn't come out until I was 20, 25, 26, maybe 25, 26 years old. Um, it's like, I kind of get that. And I'm like, I get what it feels like to not feel safe. I get, I get all that stuff. So I, I wanted to turn it around this trip and just like show people that you can do anything. You can do whatever you want. You can, you can do cool things with your life and not have to be afraid. You can be outside and be a person of color and not be afraid. Um, and you can fulfill those dreams of yours. Emily planned to go solo, but a friend suggested that she take a dog to keep her company on the trail. Another friend of mine, Lynn who is um, a guide um, at a dog sled place, she's like, hey, you should um, you should post this mushers page. Maybe somebody will let you borrow their dog for the winter. And I was like, huh, who's going to let me borrow their dog for the winter? And I posted on that Facebook page. And one person got back to me and it was Sherry. And she's like, I might have the perfect dog for you. And they had just bought Diggins. And they're like, if you want to use her this winter, she's new to us. So we're not super attached. And they let me borrow her. Emily felt pretty nervous meeting Sherry and Diggins for the first time. So we drove down there. Flo and I made a day of it in the cities. And uh, drove up to this house. They have like horses there. They have a lot of land there. And I met Sherry for the first time. I'm like hello <laughs> like thanks like I didn't I didn't I think I was so nervous I didn't know what to say to her so I don't know I blacked out I think so I don't remember any of it all I remember is walking to their garage and like walking into this kennel of all these dogs and Diggins is like in the back right corner just hanging out just wiggling her little butt so Sherry took her off of her line and went out to the dog run where they can go run out for her and be free in a fenced in area and she called her over and like I like, you know, patted my legs. And I was like, oh, come here, Diggins. And she like came over and like showed me her belly right away. And like at that moment, I was like, all right, this dog and I like, we're totally like, this is it. We've already connected. It's a done deal. Yes, true story. This dog is named after Jesse Diggins, the Olympic gold medalist cross-country ski racer. Jesse Diggins, the pro skier, not the dog, grew up in Afton, Minnesota and earned a gold medal in the 2018 games in South Korea. She and her teammate, Keegan Randall, became the first Americans to capture a gold medal in cross-country skiing. Needless to say, carrying a name like Diggins is both an honor and a lot to live up to. She is named after our Jesse Diggins, who is a complete monster of uh, Olympic gold medalist, cross-country skiing athlete. She's a different breed of human, I swear. And it's great because Diggins the dog is very much like that, like very joyous, very full of joy, very full of spunk, but then like put her to a task and it's just like lights out. Nobody's getting in her way. Yes. <laughs> like nobody, nobody is going to stop her at all. And here's the kicker though. All of her siblings are named after rappers. There was no question that this pup was the perfect match for a winter traverse of Wisconsin. But beyond all that, Diggins the dog was just plain old cute so diggins how do i describe you yes um she's alaskan husky which i think most people who think of huskies think of siberian huskies so siberian huskies are usually the ones with their they have blue eyes or one blue and one brown eye um and they're white but diggins is black and she has white toe tips her chest has also a white stripe down from her chin all the way down to her belly She's not ultra fluffy, but she has long hair. And you can tell that she has layers of hair so that she can, you know, keep warm in the wintertime. And she has 
uh, her tail curls up when she's happy. Um, and her ears are just like almost a little too big for her head. They're pointy, but they're very cute and they're very alert with everything. Over time, Diggins bonded something fierce with Emily and became protective of her on the trail. Her personality <laughs> is, is a very loving personality. Um, and sometimes too loving because um, on the trip, she became so protective of me that she would start to nip at people who like tried to get too close to me. And she wouldn't try to bite them, but she would try to just kind of like nip at their hand and everything like that. So, um, but she's, she's very funny. She doesn't really like, she doesn't really like wag her tail like a, like a hound dog does, but she like wiggles her butt. So her tail moves a little bit, you know? And like when she's excited, she mostly just wants to jump and lick your face more than anything. Um, but she's not big, but she's very strong. She only weighs about 45 pounds. Um, but on the trail, when she would like really want to go after something, her favorite thing, in the entire world is roadkill, like a hundred percent. If it's, if it's dead, she's signing up for it, like hands down right away signed. And she will pull, you know, on a team, on a team of sled dogs, she's the first one. So she's a lead dog. So she's in the front, which means she's not the strongest one, but she's very smart. The canine-human bond can be strong. After all, studies have shown that petting a dog releases oxytocin in humans, the happiness hormone, which explains why some studies have shown that owning a dog alleviates stress, reduces anxiety, and even helps people live longer. Emily's connection to dogs began when she was a little girl. My relationship with dogs and animals in general, I think, stemmed from a, when I was a kid. I was a really weird kid and I did not have many friends at all. Like I, I wouldn't hang out with anybody after I would just go home after school and I would just, I'd just hang out with my dog and do my homework and go to bed and, you know, start the day again. Uh, I'd go skateboarding with my dog and like go rollerblading with my dog. And that's just how it was. And so I knew after college, I wanted to get a dog as soon as I could. A dog kind of um, dampens loneliness quite a bit. And that was Diggins' job on the trail, to keep Emily company for those long, lonely, frozen miles. Though Diggins can't talk to tell us how it went, you can hear in Emily's voice that Diggins was an equal partner in this trip. I've compared Diggins to, like, uh, Wilson from Castaway. You guys remember the movie Castaway? And Wilson is a volleyball. Diggins can't talk back to me. She can't you know, really communicate with, any, you know, with me in that way or anything. But like, I told her a lot about myself you know, all day long. And just like, I would just work through mental problems with her. I'd work through, you know, all these different things just by, you know, just talking at her. And it's just so, it's just so helpful, you know? And I understand that not everybody, not everybody's a dog person. And I would also say like, you know, not all dogs are made for long distance hiking either. <laughs> That's very true. Emily and Flo have another dog at home, Zulu, a lab Catahoula hound mix. But Emily recognized that Zulu isn't suited for the cold weather. But January conditions in Wisconsin, laying down 20 miles a day in deep snow, that was a dream come true for Diggins. I, I could tell that she loved it because she would be so tired at the end of the day. She would just curl up in the snow, pretty much, like, and, and just tuck her nose into her tail and then just call it a wrap for the day. And the next morning, it'd be hard to get her out of bed. And she'd be like, uh, no, mom, leave me alone. Hit the snooze one more time. 
And then I'd get her harness out and she'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is what I want to do. Like, this is what I like. We're going to hike one more day. Okay. Yeah, this is awesome. And then I'd put her backpack on and she's like, this sucks. This is the worst day of my life. Diggins carried her own food. And here's the thing. Going back to when I first started backpacking, when I took Zulu out for his first backpacking trip, I carried all of his food for him. Regret. Regret. I didn't have a backpack for him. To this day, backpacking, I don't know if I've ever regretted something so much in my entire life while I backpacked, aside from carrying my own dog's food for miles and miles. So she carried her own food, and then she carried her jacket, extra tie-out line, her own medical kit, some extra booties, a bear bell, but we just used for, you could call her a wolf bell, I guess. Um, And that's pretty much it. She hated her backpack, but she does love to pull. Um... And it's, it's what she's made to do. She loves to pull. Huskies love to pull. Huskies love to walk for long distances. There were times that Emily had to rely on Diggins to keep her moving down the trail. Diggins was in front of me. She had her harness on that she uses when she pulls anything. And then she was attached to Mia via Skajorian line, which was around my waist. I would just like tell her, like, I would just use, I'd be like, hike, hike, hike. You gotta, you gotta keep going. Don't let me stop. You gotta keep going. And uh, she's like, okay, yeah, I love hiking. I love pulling. This is the best day of my, like, every day was the best day for her. She's like, oh, this is awesome. I love pulling. And I'm like, great, because I need that energy <laughs> to, like, get through this, you know. If Diggins was made for winter, then so too was Emily. She literally lights up when she describes the icy cold landscape. So the Ice Age Trail, like, man, here's one of the reasons why it's such a fantastic trail is because you will go through so many ter- terrain changes. Um, so I did it east to west. Everything's a glacial formation. And the Ice Age Trail is the terminal moraine. So the, the toe tips of, of the last glaciation. And, um, and so you're kind of getting all these really neat geological features that uh, you don't really get in many places um, unless a glacier was hanging out nearby. So you start out in this flat area. You go through Sturgeon Bay and not, not too much is really happening. And then you hit these hills um, that kind of kick your butt, honestly, especially if you're just starting out, you're not like quite ready for it. And then it goes flat again. And then you hit more of these like rolling hills. So it's kind of like you hit these moments where you're like the glacier was very, very much here. And then the glacier was not here. The glacier did this with water. Then it did not do this with water. And you'll hit these like these like beautiful forests that that's what was like the most mind boggling thing to me is just like the, how the forest changed through the entire trail. Um, there were like these deep, dark cedar, like dark cedar forests, And then you get to these like savannas, right? Where there's like these oaks, just beautiful striking oaks on these hillsides. And I, I just, I would be walking, I like point at the trees and be like, Dickens, look at that oak tree. We don't have, we don't really have oaks like that up here in Duluth. And then there would be like these, you know, plantations of pine um, and all these ash everywhere. And you could really see like the predation of emerald ash borer um, on the trees there. And, it's, and I'm like, I've never, like, there's, they would wipe out these whole stands of ash trees. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, and then you kind of get to this spot where like you'll find yourselves with more rivers because it'd been so cold that all the, all the water was frozen. And I just like be hiking and like, like, oh, that's a river. Oh, this is what rivers sound like. Like, of course, this is what rivers sound like. And like when we finally could start camping next to water that I didn't have to melt. I mean, I pretty much danced in the forest naked because I was so excited that I did not have to boil snow to make water for myself again. 
And I was just like, Dickens, this is the life. Like we're hanging out on this meandering river. And uh, it was, yeah, it was perfect. Emily quickly adjusted to winter camping and from the sounds of it had an amazing time out there. But make no mistake about it, there were struggles. I'd say the the hardest part, if you go back, do it in the winter, but the Kettle Bull, uh, is that, I think it might be in Langlade County. Um, the Kettle Bull is hilly, it's remote, and it's hilly. <laughs> and the snow, when I did it, the snow was so deep. We trudged through like knee-deep snow for like two days. And it was probably the most beautiful nights that I had because it was so dark and so remote and there were no trees because we, we were in a bowl, pretty much. We were in a valley. Like when I went out to go pee, like the stars were so bright. It was gnarly. But it was, those were the days where I like, I would tell Diggins, I'd be like, do not let me stop hiking. Like you have to, if, if I stop hiking, like we're never going to get out of this. Like we got to keep going. Um, just because like hoofing it through post hauling and trudging through snow was just like mind-numbing and hard. <laughs> In fact, more days than not, Emily started out with frozen clothes, frozen gear, and a tired, sleepy dog. So a typical day, we'll start with the morning, I guess. Everything, everything was frozen. <laughs> so I could just end the story there and call it good, I guess. Um, so the tent that I used, I borrowed it from a former boss of mine. It's a 1989 Sierra Designs clip flashlight. And even though light is in the name, it is not a light tent at all. But it was great. When we would sleep at night, all of the moisture from our mouths pretty much made its own weather system in the tent. Um, and that weather system would turn into a snowstorm, pretty much. And it would cling to the, to the inside of the tent. So if it was windy or I woke up, it would start to, and I would sit up and bump the tent. Or if Diggins would start moving around, it would start snowing in our tent, pretty much. It was not awesome. <laughs> and the same would go for my sleeping bag. So I didn't use a vapor barrier on my sleeping bag. So my sleeping bag exterior would be pretty frozen, too. Well, most of my clothes would be in my sleeping bag with me. Um, and I would stay warm in my sleeping bag by heating up hot water and putting hot water in my Nalgene's um, and putting my Nalgene in a koozie, putting my koozie and Nalgene system in my sleeping bag so it kind of keeps everything warm um, in there. Um, I didn't use any other exterior heating element. Um, anyway, so I get dressed and like the worst part is like taking off your shirt and putting on a cold shirt, right? And while I was doing this, I would eat breakfast in my sleeping bag and Diggins would still be sleeping at this time. And then get Diggins ready, get her ready to go, feed her, make her happy, pack everything in, pack the tent down. I wouldn't even heat up water in the morning. I'd just go uh, get ourselves connected together and we would just hike. Um, taking breaks here and there. I had snacks packed for the daytime. So um, try to get in about five to seven miles, take a break, um, hike five to seven miles more take another break and hike five to seven miles more after that, trying to get in anywhere between 15 and 20 miles a day. It's depending upon the weather, pretty much. Sometimes it was really blizzardy. Sometimes it was beautiful. Other times it was very cloudy. It only rained a couple times, which was awesome because being wet really sucks because then everything is frozen way more. Oh, I would take snow any day over rain. Yeah, screw that. Calories became the key strategy to staying warm out there. There's not too many gas stations along the route so we wouldn't really like stop but when i did get to a gas station i mean you better believe your sister was just grabbing everything possible off the shelf and eating like i just i ended up just drinking cream from a carton you know and just like calling it good like whole like just any fit in it in two tablespoons of cream that you would like put in your coffee 
there's like 70 calories in that two tablespoons. And there's like 200 servings in those cartons. And I would just try to get a thousand calories in and like those from those cartons, you know, and just do that. Anyway, we keep hiking and eating. Find a spot to put down camp. Sometimes this was a designated camping spot. A lot of times it wasn't. So the Ice Age Trail is not known for having heaps of camping spots. So um, I just kind of try to find a private spot where I wasn't intruding on anybody. Carve out a spot in the snow with my shoes and tramp it down. Throw up the tent. But sometimes Emily and Diggins weren't exactly alone at night. The wolves and the coyotes were extremely active out there and the deer were extremely active out there. Um, but I loved every second of it. We could hear it would it would wolves and coyotes didn't share the same territory. So it depends where we were, but we could hear them both. It's like the best way to go to bed. It's just like the wolves are howling nearby, but not too close to you. You're like, all right, good night. <laughs> if this is inspiring you to take on a winter camping trip, you need to listen up and hear about Emily's three sock system. The three sock system is uh, you have your socks that you hike in. They're always going to be sweaty. My feet were very wet at the end of the day, even though the boots I was wearing were fantastic. This is nothing against those companies. I have sweaty feet. I'm a sweaty person. Take those socks off, put on a pair of socks, and then I'd wear my in-camp booties, <clears throat> which are like nice puffy booties for your feet. And uh, when I would go to bed at night, I would take off those socks because my sweaty feet made those socks wet now. I put on a dry pair of socks with my dry feet and get into my sleeping bag. Uh, but before all that, um, I'd make dinner and just hang out, watch the sky turn dark, um, watch the moon rise. I'd always try to point, I'd always try to point the, the tent towards the west so I could watch the sunset. Um, there's some marvelous, winter's such a great time to watch sunsets because it's always just kind of a low grazing sun across the horizon and finally dips down. I don't know. It's still kind of hard to imagine enjoying a below zero winter sunset like Emily does. How does she do it? Well, there was a learning curve for sure. Well, here's the thing. As a recommendation to anybody who's doing anything outdoors in the winter, just change, just, just take off your layers when you're, when you're hot. Don't sweat. Do not let yourself sweat. Like that's just, uh, so one day <laughs> I, I refused for some reason. I, I couldn't get my I couldn't get myself to take off my layers while I was hiking. And I had all my layers on while I was hiking. And it was hard hiking. We were, we were post-holing through snow. And it was supposed to be one of the coldest nights. It was going to get down to like negative 25. I got into my camp that night and everything was wet. Even to my, even to my puffy coat on the outside, it was wet. Um, and I could actually like squeeze my bicep and, and water would come out of my bicep. Oh my gosh, this is just like the worst memory. <laughs> just like this is this is the worst thing to talk about. A, because I'm embarrassed, and B, because it sucked so much. Um, so I, I had took off all my layers, put on my sleeping clothes, right? But when I put my puffy coat on and my wind pants, which I also slept in, were wet too. And so I was making dinner and all this stuff, and like my coat was crinkling, and all of the sweat had turned into ice, so my jacket turned froze. And for some reason, in my mind, I thought it was okay to get into my sleeping bag with that coat on. So I did. And I was like, I was freezing. And I was like, what's going on? And, I, and it like clicked. And I was like, I, was like well, I said other words, but I was like, dang it. <laughs> my coat had melted. And now the inside of my sleeping bag was all wet. And so I had to take off my coat. And um, I just slept in as many layers as I could possibly find um, in my bag. And when I woke up the next day, my coat was like, straight up frozen as if somebody put so much starch in it that it could stand on its own. So I just crinkled it and like shook the ice out pretty much and put my coat on the next day. 
You've probably heard the saying three dog night, but surprisingly, Diggins isn't a good source of heat in the tent. She loves to roll in the snow. So even if I wanted to bring her in my sleeping bag, it, it wouldn't have made a difference because she she would have been so wet anyway. Um, and when we woke up the next morning, she was, so she's a black dog, but she was covered in frost. And um, if I felt like she wasn't really getting much sleep, I would put like my extra day clothes on top of her to kind of try to keep her warm a little bit. But her fur has so many layers. She's really, she is really made to sleep out in the cold. There's a bit of road walking on the Ice Age Trail, and that was good for trail magic, but also a visit from the police. I was following trail magic. Um, these two ladies like found me walking through a town I can't remember the name of, and they pulled over and they're like, we have this key card for a cabin we rented and you might be going by there if you take the Western way. And I was like, okay, I'm taking the Western way. That sounds good. And I walked to that cabin in, in the woods in, at this resort and um, I stayed there for a night and it was awesome. If I didn't have a plan, I would just knock on someone's door and ask if I could sleep in their yard. I just cold, cold knocked. because so I just said I didn't have any other choice. I only got turned away once and it was awesome. Uh, comedically so, there was only one instance where somebody was... Um, a little unsure. He, he wasn't not nice. He was just unsure of this stranger knocking on his door. So it was nighttime. It was very dark. It was very cold. And I was bundled up. He couldn't tell like who or what I was standing outside of his door. And um, I was like, hey, can I maybe stay in an outbuilding? Because it was going to be very cold that night. And he's like, he's like, no, I don't think so. Uh, I was like, oh, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, he's like, no. Nah. And uh, so I kept hiking. I knocked on another door. And this guy's like, uh, I don't know if my wife would be okay with it, blah, 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 whatever excuses. But anyway, that dude that he's like, no, I don't know if my wife would be okay with it. We ended up just talking for like two hours. He invited me into his home. He like gave me a ginger ale and, um, we just ended up talking. And all of a sudden we hear cars pulling up to his house and I'm like, oh, your wife must be home. He's like, my wife doesn't drive. And I was like, somebody's at your house. It turned out to be two police officers. The dude who I knocked on his first door, he called the cops. So I was like kind of behind the door and these cops were talking to this dude and they're like, hey, have you seen a lost hiker anywhere? And I like pop around the door and I'm like, I'm right here. And I'm like all bubbly and smiling because I'm like in pretty good spirits. And uh, yeah, the dude called the cops and that was kind of funny. So I took a picture with the cops. And I'm like, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I, I and so the the trail magic part of people helping out, like, they're, the Ice Age Trail, uh, in their counties, they have these, like, people who, who work on the trails and, like, they're, um, they have trail angels in each of those counties and everything like that. And they, like, would just spread word like fire, pretty much. And so people would, like, go out and drive to find me on these road walks. Or, like, they would hike around for hours to find me in the woods, you know, just to give me, like, something. Or, like, they would leave me so much. I ended up leaving a bunch of my food behind and sending it back home because so many people would leave us so much food on the trail. People left us like socks, hand warmers. They left us, um, they left diggins snacks. They left me food. They would leave like, like one day somebody left, um, they made pancakes and made like peanut butter and jelly pancake sandwiches. Like there's all this stuff that people were doing. Um, people in some of the counties would, um, go ahead and tromp down the trails with their snowshoes so we would have an easier time hiking through. And they would just, they would plan and coordinate with these different chapters. Uh, and then they would call the next chapter ahead and say, hey, we're sending her your way. With only three rest days during the whole trip, Emily and Diggins finished the 1,200-mile trail in just 69 days. Over that time, news of Emily's trek became known. 
and on the last day, fans welcomed her and Diggins across the finish line. Sherry, Diggins' owner, was in the cheering section. Sherry comes over, and she's like, I think it's time for Diggins to, um, to go home now. Because uh, I was holding on to Diggins the whole time, and I, like, I had prepared for this moment. So, like, a week, two weeks before we finished, I, like, would talk myself through it every, every day. I'd be like, Diggins, like, it's not that I don't want you. It's that I, like, I can't, you're not my dog. I can't keep you. And like, I would just like walk through this and like, at, at the same time, I was reading this book called The Wolf's Trail. And in this story, they talk about in the Ojibwe tradition, the whole creation and like how things got named was with a human and a wolf. And so the creator sends this human and this wolf around to name everything. And like the human uses his language and the wolf uses his keen senses to find all these creatures. And at the end of that life for, for those two characters, um, the creator says, now you have to go your separate ways and, and mate with your own kind and, and, and multiply the world that way. And, and there's like a line in this book and it says that um, the first human and the first wolf put their heads together. And at the same time, they say, I will miss you. And they part their ways and, and, they, and they go on. Um, and, and the creator promised them that they would reunite again in a different way in the future, but they didn't know how. And so at the end of this trip, I just like, when Sherry came up to me and she's like, Dickens has to go home now. I like, it didn't matter how much I rehearsed it. I just like fell to my knees and I just squeezed Diggins as tight as I could. I was like, I, I got to get some words out. And it didn't matter. I just like, couldn't say anything except for like, I love you. I'm going to miss you. You were the best thing that happened to me on this trip. And that was that. And she, you know, she went away and that was the end of it. I got home that day um, and I took a shower, which was awesome. But I just, I mean, I just ugly cried. I just missed Diggins. And that was like, I like just kicked myself. Like this was the dumbest thing you could have ever done was to bring a dog with you and get so attached to it and then just leave it behind like that. That was gut-wrenching. Emily settled back into life at home in Duluth with Flo and their dog Zulu. But after a few months, Flo noticed that Emily's longing for Diggins didn't subside. They asked Emily about buying Diggins from Sherry. And so I messaged Sherry and I was like, I'm wondering, like, is there any way I could buy Diggins from you? Is, would this be okay? And Sherry's like, I need to talk to my daughter. This is her dog. And I was like, okay. And she got back to me and she's like, we talked as a family and we decided that we would like just to give her to you as a gift. With Diggins and her family forever, Emily's heart was about to burst with gratitude. All those miles in the snow and frozen clothes and living with a wet dog meant so much more than a vacation from work. For Emily, the trail convinced her that good still exists in the world. And so every time I think about like Sherry and just like, a, you let me borrow this dog. B, you drove up to Duluth every single time, you know, to drop off Diggins. And then you just let me have this dog. Like, that's kindness that I don't think I'm going to, I don't even want to attempt to understand. I think I'm just going to try to accept it and live with it, you know. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it and, and everything. I, I think because 2020, like, what a year, right? Well, especially for us in Minnesota, 2020 sucked. <laughs> like, there was a lot of murder that was happening. You know, it was really hard for a lot of us. Like, don't forget that people, there are people who still love each other out there and who want to be helpful. Because um, I think that was not the message of 2020 really at all. You know, like that was just not at all. And, and, and I feel like 
people just stopped trusting other people. And it was a lot of people were concerned for me on my hike, you know. And uh, I just, I just was able to meet kindness again. Thanks so much, Emily. Congrats to you. You are awesome, and we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Best of luck to you and Diggins and all your future hikes. You can follow Emily on Instagram at Emily on Trail. And while you're over there, make sure to also give a follow to at Out and Back Podcast. And of course, please make sure to swing over to Apple Podcasts and give the Out and Back Podcast a five-star review. It helps the show get noticed and gives all of us a nice adrenaline rush. And finally, Make sure to head over to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast if you haven't already to snag that 20% discount on a premium subscription with the gold standard of offline backcountry navigation tools. That's GAIAGPS.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. This is Shanti, and we'll see you next time on the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. Bye-bye.